Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to the Trek Culture Podcast. I am your co-host, Sean Ferrick. Joining me, as always, is the wonderful, the sparkly, the downright shiny Tom Roberts Finn. How are you, sir? I'm good. Is that a comment on me being hot and sweaty? It is always a comment on you being hot and sweaty. It's <laughs> nothing to do with the weather. It's nothing to do with this time of the year. You're just a hot, sweaty, beautiful man. Oh, wait, this is the wrong podcast. We do. Uh, no, uh, and yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, joining us, I am so, so happy to be welcoming this man back to the bosom of our family. He was, of course, one of the co founders of the original Trek Culture podcast, which I believe you now need a map written on the back of the US Constitution to actually find. It is the wonderful Paul Sutherland. How are you? And welcome. Thank you, uh, Sean and Tom. I'm getting back into the swing of this podcasting thing, right? That was the podcast, everyone. Thanks for listening. Uh, um, I, up until like two moments ago, thought that you lived in LA until you said you're never going back. So you have you moved? Yeah, I moved to Portland last September, so almost a year now. Oh, yeah. Where is and Portland? That's in Oregon. Well, there's two Portlands in the United States at uh-huh. least. Um, but this one is in Oregon, which would be on the West Coast. So if I'm using my small knowledge of the US, that would be north of LA? Yes, very north of LA. Amazing. Smashed it. it. Smashed it. Uh, And would it be like south of Seattle? I'm just trying to join in here. Yeah, slightly south of Seattle. Yeah. Okay. I would have gone to Destination Seattle, um, I guess this year, if they hadn't canceled it, which I guess is kind of the theme right now for Star Trek events and uh, properties. What a really good yet sad way to bring us to our first topic. Yeah, Amazing, I can quit, I don't need to be here. For over two centuries, you're listening to the Federation News Network. And that, my friends, is the greatest segue in the history of the podcast. Um... Horrific, but horrific with an asterisk news. Um, Paulie, what's the bad news that's come out over this weekend? Oh, gosh, you're going to leave it to me. Um... (laughs) I guess you all are hard work for us. (laughs) All right. Well, um, I will make no attempt to soften the blow. Paramount canceled Star Trek Prodigy on what was that Friday? I think it was Uh, Friday. Actually, it was Friday. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and not just that, they announced that they would be pulling the uh, existing episodes off Paramount Plus and that the previously announced second season would be allowed to finish post-production but would not be on Paramount Plus, at least as of the decision on Friday. Yeah, that's that, that that's it in a nutshell. Um, and I, I, I put out a tweet about it on Friday and I had someone just kind of write to me and said, you're pissed off, aren't you? I'm like, yes, yes, I am. Yeah. Because the amount of memes that have come out over the weekend have been incredible of just, you know, I think Star Trek's done really well despite Paramount's best efforts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it does feel like that in a way. Um, Tom, what are your thoughts here? 
I'm I'm not really surprised anymore by anything. I mean, streaming services love to just go, well, that's not making us enough money anymore. We can get rid of that. I mean, look at Netflix. They get rid of things every five seconds. Any things they keep around are stuff like Stranger Things because they know that's what's pulling all the people that are actually paying for their services. So I know that Prodigy, which I'm just going to say now, is a very difficult word for me to say. So you know what? Screw them. No. Uh, I know that they're, it's a show that's never really been given the time of day by a lot of people. It's a Nickelodeon show, so, you know, it's going to be marketed or people are going to assume it's marketed for kids, which then admit that there's a huge demographic of people that are not watching it. Um, even then, have I seen it advertised anywhere? Not really. I'm a big... I love Nickelodeon. I love kids' shows. I, I watch a lot of... I mean, I was huge into SpongeBob. I still love SpongeBob. I love lots of things that Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network and stuff put out. I don't think that this has just been given the love that it should have. And I was, uh, my, I was made by our overlord Chris to watch all of it within like a day or two, a while back. Which now, great, what a waste of time that was. No, uh, and it was, it is a good show. And and you, we sort of discussed a lot how, especially at the time, it was some of the better Star Trek that was coming out. And I think that was because they had the, you know, parameters of it being a kid's show, which meant they had to actually focus on writing the characters and getting the characters across and getting the sort of themes across and that kind of thing, which I think really helped them. So it, it like it was a show that you could very easily get into. And although it was full of lots of Star Trek references, it wasn't like a lower decks where it's, you know, reference after reference every five seconds. It's, it's, you could still watch it as its own thing. I feel like we've all been a bit down since the beginning of Prodigy because of, because of how it's been treated from the offset, I think. For sure. Paul, what do you think? Like, so, um, uh, the, the fun thing is that in, in conversation, uh, sometimes we will have opposing views when it comes to some Star Trek, but, I think we're right in saying like, I think you've been on board of Prodigy pretty much since the beginning. You you're you're saying I was on board with Prodigy? I think so. Was am uh, I totally wrong? No, no, you're not totally wrong. I I can't say that I like really connected with it. I definitely felt like it was outside of my like demographic, uh, you know, target demo. Unlike Tom, I was really surprised that they canceled it though. Um because I mean, yeah, the the streaming service has been pretty brutal to uh content lately. Um uh, but I kind of thought that Paramount Plus's like Star Trek library has been so carefully cultivated that they wouldn't um, they wouldn't uh, make these surprise cancellations like Netflix does, you know. And then also removing it from the service entirely, you know, clearly has political and financial motivations. But that 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 did seem like more bad behavior from streamers that I was not expecting from paramount because star trek is supposed to be it's you know it's like crown jewel you know, the thing that's getting you to sign up other than yellowstone i guess no i just never i don't think i really connected with the show um i like i watched it you know because of course i'm like you know a, a sick diehard like like you two <laughs> but uh yeah it was really attractive it was really nice to look at and i appreciated that it wasn't another show about a starfleet crew you know, doing adventures, which is like a big thing with me we can get into. Um, but uh, I'm still bummed that it's cancelled. It's it's a bad look. Do we know why? Is it, is it just in the umbrella of here's a bunch of shows we're getting rid of? Or has it been discussed about, because I know animation can be really expensive. Is it just along the lines of the cost? So for, from what I know, um, from, you know, online or whatever, uh, there there's a couple of reasons. Um one is that it's very difficult to market because as we mentioned, or as you mentioned, Tom, like it's a Nickelodeon show as well. So the, a Nickelodeon show, despite any marketing campaign, the first thought you have in your head, kids, right? So that's yeah. the first thought. So you have to, you have to find a way to either deliberately overcome that or completely embrace that, that, that becomes part one of a marketing strategy. But then we had, when the, when season one was dropping, there was that, now, I'm going to say it was that very slow rollout of Paramount Plus. Perhaps in the grand scheme of things, it was very quick. It just felt slow on this side of the on this side of the pond. So it then wasn't available to an awful lot of people to watch on this side of the Atlantic. So then that's a whole demographic or even a whole category of people, demographic category, probably the same word here, that aren't watching it, which means you're not getting those ratings. 
Um, I actually I spoke to Chris in advance about this, and I have a little bit of permission to go into why we stopped doing the ups and downs for Prodigy for part one of season one. And it's a it's a depressingly boring reason. And it was because not like our we're obviously UK and Ireland based, even though we have a very large American audience and we love you all. Um, but when only half of that audience has access to the show, that is a direct knock on to the people who will watch a review of that show. So without going into like the, the boring numbers and stats and everything, we were getting it was costing us money to make the ups and downs episodes. And it's, you know, we we've no problem doing a video here or there where it's fine. But what act what it was doing is that it was costing the channel lower views than you, your your other videos get pushed down recommend lists as well. So unfortunately, it was hurting the channel. And you can see that it was because of this access to the episodes that that was the reason. Because when the show came back for the second half, we didn't have that problem. And we because we committed half of the it's like, no, we are covering second half of the season, no matter what. Uh, you know, we we had we had done our numbers and done our maths and everything. We were like, you know, sorry, Paul, we've done our math. Uh and we were <laughs> a singular math. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And uh, we were going to say, right, we will if if needs be, we'll take the hit on this. And we didn't. You know, um, and I, so it for us that was proof of once it became available to us, uh, people were getting to watch it, which means people were watching the reviews. Um, and then again, so the, but you still had that issue of, well, what's the audience for this? You mentioned lower decks. Lower decks is for Trekkies and also for a young adult audience. Um, so there's enough kind of comedy in it that if you're not a Trekkie, you're still going to enjoy it, and if you are a Trekkie. There's Easter eggs every five seconds, whereas Picard and Discovery, their mature audience, that's relatively straightforward to market to. And Strange New Worlds, probably a bit more, not not comedy in the way Lower Decks is, but not quite as heavy as, say, certainly Picard and Discovery have been. And then you've got, if you liked X, you should watch Y. Where do we slot Prodigy into that? You know, it's like, you know, kind of like, oh, my God, you know, you know, the Titan A is doing this and Burnham's just, I don't know, blown up a planet or whatever. You should watch Prodigy. You know, it's a bit hard. What do you do with that? Now, there was a monologue and a half for you. Well, I think it's also kind of probably uh, like a microcosm for what happened at Paramount, you know, uh, like on a larger scale, which was it. The show wasn't getting like the viewership that they expected or hoped uh, and it was costing them money to keep it on the platform, so they're going to pull it off. Um, they obviously have the money to maybe take a little hit to to uh, to create an audience that you know Trek culture doesn't have. Mm. Um, but you know, my first reaction uh, to it being canceled not not six months after uh, Discovery getting canceled was maybe Paramount greenlit too many Star Trek shows all at once, and that it was just kind of like bloat, you know, like a uh, like bubble bursting a little bit. Um, and uh, a friend of mine who's an entertainment reporter uh, who like has no uh, interest or real knowledge of uh, Star Trek um, asked, well, one, he, he said that he didn't believe um, that it was a bubble, that Star Trek is still like the main driving force for Paramount Plus and that the universe or the, the shows aren't, largely aren't going anywhere. So that was sort of like, uh, you know, like a comforting take. But he then asked me, who was this show for? Like you're asking Sean, you know, and I think that that's a, if, if it's for adolescents, there's like, it's a gamble if they would be interested in Star Trek. And if they are, they might just be watching Star Trek as it is and not need a show, you know, uh, catered to a younger audience the way the way Prodigy was. I wonder as well if, if this show came out in a time where there wasn't, a new Star Trek show every year where there were, you know, in that sort of period of time where we didn't have anything Star Trek for a while, if this show just sort of popped up in, in, on uh, Nickelodeon, I, possibly it might have done a lot better. That, that excitement of, oh, we have a new Star Trek thing. We haven't had a new Star Trek thing for ages. Uh, it's a kid's show. I, I get to show my kids this. I'll give it a go anyway because I, I like Star Trek and it'd be nice to see what they do with it. I wonder if, if, if it would have done better because, yeah, there is that, there is so much new star trek that you you can really pick and choose 
And if you're like, oh, well, you know, I'm an adult, I'm going to choose two out of these five adult Star Trek shows that are on and not bother with the one that's aimed at teenagers or kids, you know? Yeah, it did also sort of come out. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain a little bit here, but um, didn't the second half of season one come out pretty soon after uh, Lower Decks season three? Is that the way those were aired? I think so, because yeah, cause season right. three premiered uh, when we were at Vegas. Well, that was the first episode was was that. And I don't it hadn't come out by then. I don't think. Yeah. So then you go from one very distinct type of animation to another very distinct distinct type of animation. I just feel bummed because it I mean, I loved it. It looks great, it sounds great. Then again, I have watched all 20 episodes. Um, you know, there there is like like any any Star Trek, you'll have your your episodes that don't work as well in season one. Um, it's a much it's a very strong season one. Like I I, I say that, you know, for Star Trek because none of us have forgotten Code of Honor. Um, all all of Angel One Justice, yeah. TNG, which is one of the greatest sci-fi shows ever made, had a absolutely pants first year. Yeah. Um, and it you know and not a great second year either, really. Yeah, like we we went through it recently. It is a marked step up, but yeah, it's season three is when T- yeah. TNG kind of hits its stride. So the the good the the silver lining, the glass, the the glass, the glass, oh, the glass, the glass, good old glass, um, <laughs> is that. While, yes, it's being cancelled by Paramount, and yes, it's being taken off their streaming service, so that that sign that says the home of all Star Trek, that's a lie. It's um, going to have to change. They're going to have to you know, know, reprint those, those posters. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to cost them money. It is being, they can shop it to other streamers. Um, I'm going to say right now, I think their best bet is Amazon. Amazon, they have Picard yeah. and they have Lower Decks. I think that would be the best now, are they right. shopping the like actual show, or are they shopping season two? I think, as far as I understand it, both. Right. So, because mm-hmm. season two, it's not in the can, but it's definitely in post production. Um, so, like, there there is a tangible product to go in with. Um, you know, no one else has seen this season. You know, you, I don't obviously, obviously, I'm not the one doing the negotiation. Yeah. But um, I suppose it will come down to whatever the numbers are for Amazon's other younger audience shows and what their numbers are for Picard and Lower Decks. Um, obviously, Amazon, not the only option. I do think it would be the best option, but not the only option. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I took a little break from from Twitter for about six or seven months, um, and I came back right around, you know, this week. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, so I've been able to see the reaction and I've just seen like wall to wall, you know, save Prodigy hashtags and People pointing out that since the news came out, um, the shows like at like the top of like iTunes, you know, purchases and things like that. Um, and I've also seen uh, the creators behind the show um, seem genuinely optimistic about the show's prospects for finding a new home. Uh, in a way that, like, I think you you know you see you see creators of of canceled shows you know, often say, well, you know, you never know. But um, the, the the producers of Prodigy have seemed actually genuinely uh, optimistic that there is at least hope for um, season two uh, being released in some some capacity. I think that since it's in the can, it's probably assured that it'll come out in some form somewhere. Uh, you know, uh, producing new seasons after that seems like a like a like a tougher hill to climb. Yeah. This could be the final. They someone might get it. They put season two out, and then that's the end. Mm. We don't know. <laughs> I was talking to some people who know way more about me than it. And like, if if season three was greenlit today, it would be summer twenty twenty five before an episode dropped. So they were saying it's just like just the it's about two years to turn a season around because of the nature of the product, and that's. Also, probably like not to sound doom and gloom, but that would also make the sell harder. It's also not helped by the fact that there's a writer's strike. So, beginning, you know, work on a show right now, I mean, you know, we don't know when that could happen. So, there's another delay there. For sure. For sure. Um, which is what, like, you know, people I've seen, uh, you've probably all seen the tweets of people like, oh, they're, they're, they're making money for, you know, they're saving money for Star Trek Legacy. I'm like, listen, I'm, I'm, I would love Star Trek Legacy as much as anyone, but those kind of decisions, I, I don't know if they're a priority at the moment. The priority is get the writers back to work and 
sort that out. Which is why I, people are asking me, like, you know, when do you think we're going to get an uh, announcement? It's like, well, I don't know, next year earliest, I'd say. Um, yeah. But And that's maybe pessimism, maybe optimism. I'm not sure. I think to go back to your earlier point about perhaps a symptom of too much Star Trek being greenlit at the, at the one time. I mean, look, it's kept me in a job for three years, but... <laughs> At the same time, I mean, it's never been like this. There's never been five shows on the air at the same time. And I think maybe this is a this was a great experiment. Perhaps we should concentrate on fewer. And I'd feel terrible for even saying that because, you know, give me all the Star Trek all the time. But if it comes at the expense of people's hard work and, you know, kind of like the amount of passion and love that has gone into Prodigy and if if it is to end with season two uh, or touch wood season two never shows the light of day. That would be a huge shame. And I would hate for that to be because of an oversaturated market. Yeah. I mean, you, uh, you're correct that it was a, it, it's an experiment and we should be, I mean, I don't want to say grateful to a, a major corporation that's making billions of dollars off this <laughs> stuff, but you know, like as fans of a franchise, like grateful that they're taking risks and trying new things, even if they fail and, you know, yes, it, it, it's terrible for the uh, the people working on the show, but cancellation and, you know, show's ending is part of that job. So it's not like they're, you know, they didn't know that that was a possibility. Um, you know, yeah, it sucks. But. I think the worst thing uh, that we're all forgetting is that they've also actually cancelled the uh, Grease series about the Pink Ladies, which I think we can all agree on is actually the worst news. Um, I'm I, I'm not okay. <laughs> I am not okay. Yeah. Um, uh, and we're talking about the Queen Pink Ladies. Yeah. Oh, right. So, okay. So, Queen of the Universe, Pink Ladies, Red Angel, Michael Burnham, Queen of the Universe. Uh, yeah. That's another show that's been, <laughs> been canceled that we haven't really talked about. But Hashtag save Star Trek Prodigy. Sign the petitions. You know, if you want the show to survive, what we can do as fans is, you know, we've known it since the 60s. It's like a letter writing campaign. Just be loud. Because one thing that we are certain of is that while maybe, no, my little individual tweet might not make much of a difference. If we get 10,000 tweets saying, I would like to see season two, that makes a difference. So if you want to see season two, if you want to just let everyone know that, look, Star Trek Prodigy doesn't deserve to die, get on socials. Use hashtag save Star Trek Prodigy. There is petitions. I'm assuming it will one will be linked in the description of this episode, wherever it is. There we are. Some extra work for Tom. Thanks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, um, join the chatter. Join the chatter and, uh, and send some love to the people who make the show as well. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Now, moving on. So we have Star Trek Strange New Worlds Season 2, Episode 2, Ad Astra Per Asperum. Very hard to remember all the Latin names sometimes. Yeah. Um, summed up, Una's Trial. 
So, okay, we'll go, we'll go around the table because uh, obviously my ups and downs are already out there. So my opinion is pretty much out there already. So, uh, Paul, as the guest, what are your thoughts? Oh man, you're going to make me, uh, go first. I'm the downer. So, um, this was a solid episode and I love how um, easily Strange New Worlds can shift gears from like action adventure one week to trial episode the next. Um, but, um, I I was a little maybe bored with the episode uh, because I knew the outcome. You know, there wasn't like a lot of tension for me. So, um, yeah, I also don't really think that the uh, genetic engineering plotline is a very convincing story to me. Um, it never believed that the Federation would be so draconian about genetic engineering. So I don't know. I thought it was kind of a, a flimsy, uh, like, you know, uh, foundation for an episode and not, you know, one, uh, filled with not much tension though. Um, and I'm blanking on the name of the guest actor, but, uh, her performance as, uh, as the, uh, attorney was worth, you know, admission right we have differenting different opinions on this <laughs> okay good <laughs> you hated the guest star I, I did not like her performance in this at all oh wow i feel really bad um i just it didn't do it for me I, it felt a bit wooden and sort of underplayed i don't know it just my first so i re- i wrote down um some notes when i was watching this episode and my first note was boring I did find this episode very boring. I agree with everything you said. We knew what the outcome was, so this is kind of a waste of time, unless they did it in an interesting way, which I don't think they did. Um, and it it was no measure of a man, I can tell you that. I did not get that that sort of emotional, oh, they've done it, feeding at the end. I, I was like, oh, they've done it, <laughs> kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I actually found a lot of the acting kind of poor, uh, some of the main stars, who I won't name in case we ever get them on the podcast, uh, <laughs> <laughs> not really a fan. I spoke to Chris about this for the of the first season. There's a few people on that show that I just don't think are that great. Um, I think they've got potential. I like their character. I just think the actual performance is sort of a bit underwhelming sometimes. Yeah, found it very boring. Uh, I have a few more notes, but we'll get to them before before Sean uh, cries and tells us how much he's, he hates both of us. Um, there is one thing I want to I want to bring up now that I have noticed in that I noticed in this episode, and it happens in a lot of new, uh, uh, not just Star Trek but shows in general. Constant music playing under scenes. Uh, so after I watched this episode, I went back and watched Measure of a Man because uh, I was like, is have, am I forgetting? that this was just what they've always done in Star Trek. But no, old Star Trek, you have, you know, you have your stingers, you have your music at the end of the scene, music at the beginning of the scene. Sometimes you might get a bit under certain aspects, but it's mostly, you know, you've got background sound of the ship and that's it. I noticed very early on, almost every scene has constant music playing underneath it. Constant. See, you don't, you're never being, you know, you're always being told how you should be feeling during every single scene. And I'm watching it going, these people are just talking. Why is there this music going on underneath? If, if, if what they're saying is not interesting enough, then that's your fault. You've got to write this better. You can't just keep telling me that this is actually exciting because I don't find it exciting. So that's a big bugbear of mine. I am actually going to completely agree with you. Um, yep. I need a I need a new uh, like sound effect that will play when you we agree. <laughs> um, because and it's because of the exact reasons you said. Um, there I am a huge. I mean, I love 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 uh, background score. I love movie scores. Always have. Um, but it does. The whole point is that it can heighten a particular scene or particular moment if it's constant. It can, I'm not saying it does, but it can just lose the very impact it's trying to make. Um, and, you, and you're right, this, this episode, it was noticeable. There's a few scenes where, yeah, people are just talking. And if you don't have enough confidence in that the talky nature of it is going to be enough to elicit an emotional reaction yeah. that you slap in an underscore. It 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 sort of it sort of feels like okay. It just it just brings everything down a little bit. The obvious comparison episode to this is the Measure of a Man. Uh, the Measure of a Man doesn't do that 
yeah. um, as you know, just it's not that there's music absent. It just it comes in when it's needed. Yeah, there is one bit where it does it, and it's when Picard is talking to I can't remember her name, but the 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 woman who's like the judge who they, who they used to have. The Louvois. Yeah, they the, when they're sort of flirting. That that was fine because it's so stupid that it made me laugh just to have that <laughs> bright music underneath it. But yeah, I started noticing when there wasn't music in Strange New Worlds. I started going, oh, they're not playing music now. Is, is there a reason why? Oh, the music's kicked kick back in again. They were just having a little gap, so they stopped playing something new. <laughs> it was just it was strange. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna be noticing this when I rewatch or watch new episodes of uh Strange New Worlds. If it's if it's overscored or not. Um I, I I was a big fan of the AV Club's reviews of Discovery and Picard when I don't I don't even know if they they still do them but um, that was one of their criticisms of of both those shows was that they were overscored and that they mm-hmm. were that the music was really trying to make you feel a certain way that wasn't supported by the actual footage right. but uh, yeah I hadn't really noticed it with Strange New Worlds but um, yeah I just just this episode I noticed it so I. I... Hopefully, I, I'm not just ruining this show for like loads of people that are listening, but I, I think I'm gonna see if I can pick up on it on a later episodes and, and see. If there's any chance we have one of the uh, composers on the podcast, we should probably uh, black this part out. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm just I'm not gonna let anyone on this podcast at this point. Uh, that's yeah, like you know, kind of. I hope I hope we've all enjoyed talking to them in any way. Everyone <laughs> goes dark from today. Uh, one thing I I really want to pick up. Tom, what you said there is uh, uh, Bertaki, who played Nira. Um, I thought she was fabulous in this episode. Um, and why are you so horrible? <laughs> Look, it's two against one. Uh, this this might just be a weird thing in my brain. I just I think for me, I, they had to be the the sort of center of this piece. They had they had to be the one that sort of pulled it forward, and it just it just didn't work for me. It kind of felt like they were just playing the part rather than being the part. I don't know. Um, it just didn't work. Maybe there was too much music during her scenes, and I was just not <laughs> concentrating what she was saying. She was uh, wearing some pretty fabulous costumes. I was pretty distracted by that. So <laughs> I yeah. wasn't watching her performance so much as how well they dressed her. Well, that was the thing. Her costumes were great. Her her character was great. There was so much about it I did like. It was just the actual acting of it that I wasn't a big fan of. Something else I wrote down. Uh, and and this is criticism of the whole entire show. There are things about this episode I do like, and we'll get to that at some point. Um, I wrote down, where are the strange worlds? I want strange worlds in my strange new worlds. There's no strange worlds. I When this show was first uh, talked about, I expected it to be more similar to the original series, and I wanted every episode to be dealing with some weird... Uh, like super creative way of showing alien worlds and how we're dealing with them. And so far it just feels like Star Trek. It just feels like the usual kind of Star Trek stuff we get. It, uh, am I alone on this? You're not alone, um, but like it being usual Star Trek is also sort of part of its like appeal, right? That it's yeah. like original formula Star Trek. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of on the same boat there, but like I, I kind of like take this episode for example um it starts in the Voltaire nebula and you have a planet that could be toronto except pike can't breathe <laughs> yeah um and i mean like that's that's one example like one of the ones i really liked from last season is the one where they use the kid as a battery and you've got all these floating islands um, oh yeah, like, yeah i really like that idea it's like you know because we just have so much money to throw around uh, but like I do like that, and I do want more of that as well. Um, like I, I, I often think of you know original Doctor Who for this is like you know we're going to a crazy planet quarry quarry. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, um, well, I, so I do see where you're coming from. Um, I, I also agree with you, but it's like you know the fact that it does feel like you know sort of next gen uh, sort of story of the week uh, is part of its appeal. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I'm going I, to firmly sit on the fence for this one. <laughs> I think in my head, I envisioned like Pike with like a sci-fi machete cutting down leaves, going through some like alien jungle. Um, that that's that's more the kind of thing that I I think I'm looking for. So, so again, not time travel episodes of the 21st century. No, no, I don't want him to be walking through uh, what are they called <laughs> automatic doors. 
and going, this door funny. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's next week for those who don't know. Okay, things we did like. Things we liked in this episode, what are they? The AT Day's performance, the music. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, like, my, my number one straight away, nobody's performance. Costumes! Love those TOS dress costumes coming back. Um, yeah, yeah. With a lovely, uh, a swanky 23rd century slash 21st century uh, redesign. Um, loved that. Uh, this is well documented. I will say it again. Surely there was another room. Hey, it's just another entry for uh, that list I've been working on for years, which is uh, reused sets in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was funny. It was your article on the Shenzhou that I was just like, oh, oh, wait, see, you can redress it, you know? Um, but uh, so that actually, I mean, thankfully, I think, Thankfully, we got the clip early because otherwise that would have taken me right out of any of the scenes. Um, that was pretty well redressed with the uh, like the engraved panels and things like that. Like I thought they did a fairly good job of disguising the set. Just the middle bit. That's what it was. Purely, it was the middle bit. It's the fact because that's such a like a really strong set piece in Federation HQ. Um, if they even found a way to fill that in, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know what way to do it but that is just it's very distinctive that's all sorry this is supposed to be things we liked um, <laughs> uh, saying. which is funny too because like everybody's <laughs> praising this episode on the internet and i've been hearing i've disagreed with them but i've been seeing people say that it compared to or surpassed measure of a man which i i don't know how you could draw that <laughs> what no no it i nearly swore there which i'd have to strong, cut out no. not. doesn't even compare doesn't even measure up to it you could say Something I did like, um, which is linked to something I didn't like, so I'm so, I can't give you something I like about something I, something I don't like. But <clears throat> I didn't like the end clapping bit. I thought it was weird and sort of corny when she goes to leave and they all start clapping. It just felt a bit like uh, it made me feel a bit gross. I don't know why. I was just like, Ugh. I guess just not deserved in the actual writing of the episode. I just was like, I don't really get why they're clapping. Um, what I did like, which goes along with this, is when Pike hugged Una at the end because it was it, it, it was that suppress of emotions. Like all he wants to do is is hug her and tell her how much he's happy that she's okay. But he kind of awkwardly does it and like really quickly and waits for everyone to leave. Loved that. I love that suppression of emotions and trying to be a professional. That's the kind of stuff that I really enjoy, especially in Star Trek which I guess is why I didn't like the clapping because it felt too like unprofessional and just showing that they're all really happy with her. If, if it was just the hugging th thing, then I would have loved it. That was my favorite part of the episode. Actually. Yeah. I think that's, no, I think that's a very fair point on that one. Do you know what I, lo I loved Battelle in this episode? I thought she did a very good job because she, of course, if we're doing the measure of a man, she's the Riker. She has to do be, be the prosecutor. Um, <laughs> And I yeah. thought there was enough subtlety. Uh, she was clearly rooting for Una for the whole episode, but it was just subtle enough that it wasn't like, is she trying to throw the trial here? I think I think it was subtle enough until the very end when you could tell that what she was like, they were winning. And then everyone in the room started smiling. And I was mm. like, why are you all smiling? <laughs> like, are you trying to get across that you're happy about this? If so, why is this a goddamn rule that any of you follow? <laughs> it's... It's uh, it was strange. I really I liked Lon's subplot and her brief interaction with Uhura. I wish there was more of that, but I really appreciated her her guilt about potentially being the the person who outed Una. Um, and I think what maybe makes the episode um, valuable for me was not the um, the courtroom stuff so much as like how uh, that was reflected in uh, the the other cast members and their testimonies and the, you know them discussing their relationship with Una, despite the fact that we haven't really seen them build much of a relationship with her over season one. Uh, I think uh, the performance uh, and the character itself is so distinctly drawn that you kind of get that familiarity without needing too much time with her. And I guess she's been around since the second season of Discovery, so we know her fairly well. Um, and we like Rebecca Romaine, so I, I think it was easy to buy that the cast, the crew, uh, loves Una, and I, I like that's what I liked about that episode. Oh, I did like the Spock bit 
when he apologizes for his outburst, mm. when the two of them just aren't doing anything. That was very data to me. That was that was very that kind of humor, which I really liked. Love that. He truly brings out the worst in me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um now I, I I got a question. I want to know if this is just because last uh, podcast we realized that there was a huge chunk of an episode that I completely forgot. Now I want to know if this is something that I also have forgotten. They meant they ask her if she's related to Khan, if she's got any relation to Khan, and she says yes, and then they move on. I thought that was very weird that they just went anyway. Is that should that be weird or am I missing something? It depends. This is something myself and Chris have talked about and Polly as well. What do you think of this? It's like if Khan is such a big historical figure that you can just go, Are you related to Khan Nuni and Singh? Yes. Mm. And we move on and never speak about it again. <laughs> yeah. In the same way that, you know, you would suggest, um, oh, are you related to some despot from the 20th century? And we all know their names and we move on. Okay, would Spock not be very familiar? You know, Spock who is, you know, very good and does all of his homework. And, you know, if Khan Noonien Singh is as well known as this episode sort of suggests that he is, then what does that mean for, I suppose, history as we know it? Well, I guess my follow-up question was you're talking about Star Trek history? <laughs> and like the question of why she wouldn't why that family wouldn't change their name or why they would name her lawn which rhymes with con <laughs> <laughs> i assume it's going to pay off in some way and uh you know not to get into spoilers i haven't seen the episode i just know that the next the next or this week's episode rather is you know dealing with time travel and i'm pretty sure one of the descriptions was that lawn would have to deal with something related to uh you know her her lineage um maybe they'll pay it off in a satisfying way but you're right, right. it defies explanation why she would why the family would keep that name and why that 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 relationship with with spock going forward but how would we rate this episode sean out of 10 uh, out of 10 i would i'd give it a high seven okay yeah you 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 were on the the liking side I, of this. I definitely enjoyed this episode. I did. Cool. Yeah, honestly, I, I, I'd give it like a low seven. I mean, I didn't hate it. Uh, I just didn't think it was, you know, the uh, the masterpiece that some people some people thought this latest installment is. I'm sure next week will surpass that in a lot of people's estimation. So, you know, whatever. Uh, well, now I feel terrible. Uh, I'm going to give it a four. <laughs> I don't know why I had four in my head when you said that. <laughs> You've guessed them every time. Um, They're just never really that bad, are they? Like, that's really bad. Well, I was, I have to be honest, I was bored throughout most of the episode. And about halfway through, I was thinking, I can't wait for this to be finished. I'm just not having a good time. And the, the reason it's four is that there were glimmers of things I did like. Uh, but there are very few and far between. I can imagine just because of sort of, I gave the first episode a five, given this one a four. I I am assuming I'm going to like the third episode much more. I just have a feeling that I'm going to think it's a bit more fun and a bit more interesting, even if it's the thing I was just complaining about earlier about just seeing them in the 21st century again. I, I think I'm going to enjoy it. But no, I, yeah, it's a four. <laughs> Would you, uh, sorry, Tom, we haven't really spoken very much. So, uh, That's right. uh, like, how would you, like, what do you think like your average rating for season one would have been just so we can have like a, like a gauge of your interest in the show? Uh, average rating for season one, I would say, I'd say most of the episodes would for me get between a six and a seven. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of Strange New Worlds. I, I've still, I discussed it last episode. It's mostly the writing that I'm not a fan of. I, I do like a lot of the other things they're doing with the actual visuals and things. Yeah, probably a six and a seven. I, I think my my problem, the reason I criticize it so much is that it could be a show that I really like. Um, so I always want it to be more. My dad loves this show though. My dad loves Strange New Worlds. So that's something. <laughs> I'll get him on one day and he can he can replace me. Well, here's the other thing as well. Like, we know there's the Lower Decks crossover episode. We mm. have suspicions that there's going to be a musical episode. Just thinking about those and then watching this episode, I'm like, I'm so bored. <laughs> it's just not what I want. Uh, uh, imagine, imagine, imagine this episode as a musical. Yeah. Oh, 
I would have loved that. I would have absolutely loved that. Already, I'm excited. I, th- that idea excites me. That would have been amazing. Now, we are going to bring this podcast to something that Paul is actually quite familiar with. It is one of the cargo bays on the ship that has the least amount of security around its airlock. It's Cargo Bay 101. So I listened to last week's podcast and Bree picked Neelix. And that's like a really, that's that's a tough uh, decision to, to follow. Mm-hmm. Um, so mine's going to be way more boring. And I'm just going to say that I'm going to use like, I'm going to, is it possible? Is it within the, the rules? I don't remember. It's been too long since I've done this uh, to choose like a plot element here. I think that, I think it's, I think it's whatever you want to do. Okay. So I'm going to take bad Starfleet, bad Federation stories. And, and I want to put those in the airlock for, for like, at least for the time being, I think um, the, the franchise, especially in it's like current recent run has sort of, is it's exhausted its supply of the Federation is bad. We have bad ships. Um, you know, uh, Starfleet is corrupted. Um, there's a, you know, there's a infiltrator, there's Zadvash or there's changelings or the Texas class ships are turning against the Cerritos or the, um, the construct from prodigy is making Starfleet turn against itself or, um, control from section 31 is, uh, creating a huge, you know, internal conflict within Section 31 and Starfleet. Um, all of that is is really played out. I think that's, I, I'm going to straight away agree with you. Um, I, I am totally 100% backing you up here because like, if you think of what a, what a gut punch and yet iconic image it is to see the Enterprise and the Reliant facing off against each other. And then the next one that jumps to mind for me is the Defiant and the Lakota. You know, these are really standout moments. And again, then you have your Voyager and your Equinox, but these are big standout moments. Whereas it has kind of got to a stage of, oh, there's a new ship. Where's the weak points? We're going to need to know this for later in the episode. You know, it's kind of got to there. And therefore, when you overdo anything, it loses its impact. Yeah, well, what got me thinking about it was this latest episode of of Strange New Worlds, because... I always found the genetic engineering, like I said earlier, the genetic engineering, the band to be not a very believable um, element of this fictional universe. Una, you know, giving us her backstory and us learning how how many issues that creates in that society. I, I just found it even more unbelievable. And it made the Federation seem, you know, more villainous uh, than I really, you know, I expect out of fictional utopia i mean they're not really very utopian anymore after after so many seasons of starfleet slash federation as as bad guys isn't there a quote from robert beltran where he's something about uh the first the prime directive being like fascist crap that's starting to feel like what the federation is now with the, the, the amount of things they that they like refuse to change and do and this and the stuff that was in uh, Picard season three and all that kind of stuff. It's like, oh, are they just, are they just the bad guys? <laughs> Increasingly, you had the ban on the synths and you had um, Starfleet trying to genocide the Klingons in, in uh, Discovery season one. They've been making some interesting choices lately. There's a couple of big ones that are like, you know, ah, we, we just won't mention that again. That's a pretty big bit of history. I mean, like, Laurel is only Chancellor because of a bomb placed in the middle of Kronos because of Starfleet. Is that not complete and utter interference in other pe- cultures and development and everything? Yeah, I was going to say, did this start, because we've always had, like, oh, the evil Admiral and blah, blah, blah. Did this start in Deep Space Nine with, with you know, more things like Section 31, where we had a lot more of the of this type of thing with uh, Starfleet. We couldn't go all the way back to conspiracy. Uh, yeah. But, but I think Deep Space Nine definitely ran with the gray, you know, uh, Federation concept and they they did that well. Um, but then other properties have kind of picked it up and 
yeah. into darkness, got the section thir- got section 31 involved again. And then, you know, discovery obviously really ran with it too. Hmm. DS9, I think, I mean, look, you all know I love DS9. I won't go on about it, but DS9 has probably the best quote for exploring the darker side of the 24th century, but without doing it in such a way that it's every week. And it's it's easy to be a saint in paradise. You know, this, this idea of if you're standing on Earth, life is rosy. Everything's great. If you're standing on one of the, you know, on Bajor just after the occupation or a planet like that, that doesn't have all of the resources and everything, then you start to see how the Maquis came into being. That's fine. But then when you have in the heart of the Federation itself, this wonderful, you know, utopian, massive question mark over that one, this massive utopian organization. And yet even in there, you've got all the baddies and the abuse of power and all of this. And then you're kind of like, well, hang on, you're in paradise. What's what's going on? I mean, like, not that there wouldn't be individuals, but like you've got a blood. I mean, the, the one thing that the, I think the most offensive thing to me is why does Section Thirty One have a space station? I mean, like <laughs> I, that was one of the anyway. Right, Paul, yeah. I agree with you. I agree with Just you. Give they, us, they're overplayed. Yeah, give us more paradise and uh, lay off the starkly bad trope for a while, just because it's not it's not dramatic or interesting anymore. You know how Star Wars always just go back goes back to a sand planet. It's the yep. sand planet of Star Trek. <laughs> and we don't like it. It's coarse no. and uh, rough and it gets everywhere. Anyway, I agree. I think we should put it in uh, Cargo Bay 101. Uh, Sean? Alright, let's airlock the heck out of it. Bye bye <laughs>
Um, my question of the week, which alien races are slash have been underserved in Trek? I actually saw this question on, on Twitter this morning. Um, and this person also said, I think they said that they thought the, um, the Orions were Yeah, the mentioned Orions, yeah. I thought we've gotten a lot of Orion lately. So, I mean, uh, Discovery Season 3 had um, Osira and the Orion Syndicate playing a, a big part uh, that season. So I think we've gotten a pretty good amount of Orions. Um, I think what we haven't gotten enough of are new aliens. Yeah, like my, my fir- the first thought in my head is Tellarites. Um, but then again, they mentioned Tellarites in the in the tweet as well. Um, just because, only because we got so much of the Andorians in Enterprise. So, uh, and I know with Prodigy, whatever happens in the future, but we have Jan Kampog, of course, and now we have Doctor, whose name I can't remember, on the uh, Dauntless, um, Doctor Chome, I think, um, Jason Alexander's character. Um, oh yeah, oh yeah, Tellarites. More of them. They're a founding member of the Federation. Give us more. Last one. So this is actually, I was talking to Sean about this before we were recording. Uh, someone on Twitter called Eggsy, Eggsy Trek Jedi. And then Hello. there's a bunch more letters uh, who we've had interactions with before, right? Yep. All the time. Lovely guy. Yeah. They've uh, put up loads of questions. They put up five. So I'm probably going to spread these questions out for the next couple of uh, episodes. Uh, but we'll start with the first one. What got you into genre fandom, especially in content creation? So I suppose what originally got you into like being super into certain genres and then transitioning that into creating content? This is a tough one. Um, I think, uh, oh God, <laughs> how do I phrase this? I feel like I was kind of just born a little geek, right? Like when I was a kid, <laughs> I loved Ghostbusters. And I think, you know, that that's kind of like a... You know, it's like a science fictiony kind of, uh, you know, franchise and that. But I loved dinosaurs as a kid. So like that's a little bit sciencey, you know, so it was like a natural evolution to space and then Star Trek. Um, and it's kind of like a like a cycle because Star Trek made me curious about how they produced the episodes. I wanted to know, you know, what was going on behind the scenes. So that led me to uh, pursue film as a career, um, go to film school and, you know, start writing and then, you know, start writing about Star Trek. That is like a clear, that's an easy evolution for me to pinpoint, I guess. You just for people who don't know, because there's been people that have asked about you before. I think you were writing a lot for Trek culture sort of back in the day before I joined and a lot of the, the ships articles are from you. Uh, but I believe you've sort of got a job that has taken up most of your time now. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, I also um, have a design firm. And uh, so that's sort of taken over my life. And it has nothing to do with Star Trek and very little writing is involved. But one of these days, I'm going, I'm going to uh, do like a like a sculpture of the Enterprise or something. And oh, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> bring those two, those two interests together. Cool. Sean? Um, well, without the design element, sim- similar to to Paul, I did not go to film school, but writing was always my thing. Um, and I've been a Trekkie since, I mean, I could walk, you know, possibly before. So like that was a real, that, that, that was my, my gateway into all science fiction, love fantasy as well, always have, uh, wanted to be a writer as soon as I knew you could be a writer. Um, I've been doing that since I was about. 11 or 12, just like penning little stories. Got to college, turns out, oh, lots of people want to be writers. You need to be qualified. Oh, I better go get qualifications. So I did. And then naturally I went into a completely different career altogether. Um, and everything went on a bit of the back burner. Then the apocalypse happened. And uh, that was very much, that was right. I'm sitting at home doing nothing else. So what's this internet thing like? And I mean, it literally, it literally was as 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 simple as I just started to get involved. I got to meet people. I got to chat to people, um, and I've been I've been doing it ever since. And I'm bloody count me lucky stars for it. Sean, I think you and I actually responded to the same uh, YouTube ad, which was Chris asking for people to write uh, Star Trek content for what culture back in the day. I think so. Yeah, around February 2020. Yeah, and I was like, please. Please, we need writers. And we're just like, I think between us, it was just like, so uh, 
you want to handle the even days, I'll take the odd days, you know. <laughs> you can have them on the weekends, I'll have them during the week. <laughs> I, I think I have a very specific sort of beginning of, of the actual genre thing. Do you remember the episode of South Park when they played World of Warcraft? Yes, actually, it's one of the few that I've seen. Yeah, well, I, I watched that as a kid, and I remember being transfixed and... Like the idea of being in that world was so appealing to me. I think ever since then, I've always been sort of chasing that that like childlike wonder that you get when you watch something. Like it happened again when I like watched Lord of the Rings for the first time. There's certain genre things where like I become fully immersed and um, get that sort of. Uh, I don't even know how to describe it. it. It's just that 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 there's like a new level of a sort of physical excitement that you get from something like that and i think since then i've always been sort of trying to chase it um and that just led me into all the different like fantasy and sci-fi and things like that and um <clears throat> I, I, I like star trek growing up because my dad and things and then that led me to do media and film studies and i went to film school and when i was out of film school uh it's like a, it's like a film i was i've said this before i think i've said this to sean i i would watch what culture videos while sat on the toilet uh, because uh, they were just the easiest sort of quick thing to put on past the time when I'm, you know, straining on the on the loo. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I, uh, I remember watching and going, I would love to work for a YouTube company like What Culture, where everyone else at my film school wanted to be like the next Stanley Kubrick. I just wanted to make money uh, by making cool like content online. Years down the line, after doing various different freelance work here and there, the advert comes up on on google and i apply and then they gave me the job it was it was actually really simple <laughs> when people ask like how did you get it i went oh i applied and then they gave it to me <laughs> like it's uh it's as simple as that just if if you've done the thing that they're looking for apply for it and you might get the job so thanks eggsy for that um and make sure you guys remember to uh message us with hashtag ask trek culture for future episodes so I think that brings us up to uh, up to time. Uh, thank you to everyone who sent in questions. Paul, thank you so much for giving us your time. It's great to see you again. I want to see more of you. Please, please come back. Please leave that other job that is your actual passion and your actual career and come back and do lists and things with us. It'd be great. Yeah, if I, if I wasn't the cause of the first podcast getting cancelled, then uh, yeah, I'll come <laughs> back and do more. Cause is a strong word. Um, <laughs> not saying it's inaccurate. Uh, but Paul, for everyone who wants to reach out and get in touch, can they now do so again on the socials? Yeah, I uh, guess I'm back on Twitter. So <laughs> at Paul Sutherland on Twitter, um, at Paul Sutherland on Instagram. And if you want to see my work, my design work that I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, you can uh, see that on Instagram too, at Sutherland Santo. Lovely, lovely. Um, you are an incredible designer. So too is your design partner, who is also a wonderful human being. Um, and thank you so much. Tom, you remain a legend of the hairiest proportions. Um, Thanks. You're very welcome. Um, <laughs> of course, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter and Instagram and things like that uh, with at Tom C. Finn. Uh, if you type in at Tom C. Finn or Tom C. Roberts Finn, you'll probably find me. Uh, if you look for the beard and the hair, then you should be able to find me. Uh, yeah, I'm 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 sharing Trek culture things there. I'm sharing the podcast, um, and that's mostly it. Uh, but yeah, you can find me there or um, on episodes of Trek culture. I might be voicing them, and I'm probably editing them. This is true. This is true. We we he's he's our next candidate for person being locked in cage uh yeah. speaking of chris has said he will break our kneecaps if we don't do the following please make sure that you are of course subscribed to this podcast on any podcast catcher of your choice uh please make sure that you are following along with the ups and downs every single week of course we have star trek strange new worlds at the moment episode three will be the next one coming after this so it will be dropping at some time on thursday um yeah. god only knows when that's going to be um will i give it more uh, than a five 
You have to come back and find out. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Will this be the one that breaks through his icy exterior or will this only like just make it even worse? Is it going to be the Mr. Freeze to his George Clooney's Batman? Who knows? <laughs> uh, please make sure that you're following the podcast uh, or well, the, the everything, the podcast, the channel, everything. Go to at Trek Culture on Twitter. Go to at Trek Culture YT on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Sean Ferrick on Twitter and I am at Prince Trek on Instagram. Look after yourselves, everyone. Thank you very much. Uh, once more, just so Chris don't hurt us, make sure you're subbed to the podcast. Make sure you're subbed to the channel. We are getting closer to 300,000 subscribers. And for that, we love you all. And we believe Paul is a very large part of that as well. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.